0: This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hi folks, welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics podcast, where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm Scott Malcolm, and today we're going to go on a little bit of a journey in regards to the NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's been around since about 2013. And interestingly, the ACT was the first jurisdiction uh, to actually complete the full rollout. But today I'm joined by a return guest and one of her colleagues. So welcome along, Jane and Kirsten. How are you both today?
1: Very well, thanks, Scott. Lovely to be here. Same, Scott. Really good to be here. I'm excited to talk about the NDIS.
0: Yeah, look, it's definitely something that probably a lot of people have heard about, but not had necessarily an understanding of what it's there for and what it does. But I guess before we jump into that today, we we have been asking our guests and and Jane as a return guest, I might uh, not ask you today, but Kirsten, have you got a a happy early money memory that you're willing to share with us today?
1: I do, Scott. Yes. When I turned 18, I got my first full-time job working for ANZ Bank. So I arrived at my first day of work and it didn't seem like work at all. And at the end of the fortnight, when I got paid, I could not believe that ANZ Bank was going to pay me for turning up and just talking to people and looking at a computer <laughs> screen. So I was so excited. I went and bought a pair of Levi 501 button-up jeans. I loved those jeans. I had them for years. And they. I, I always think about them as being a symbol of like the reward for work, even though to me it wasn't hard work.
0: I love that story, Kirsten. Thanks for sharing that. And um, are you still a 501s girl or do you uh, mix up your jean brands these days?
1: As I'm now a mother of four, I've become more of a stretchy waistband target kind of a gal. (laughs) So Unfortunately, the Levi's are many years behind for me.
0: No, but that's a that's a fab story, and I I love that. I um, yeah, ANZ Bank. I've still got one of their branded money boxes from when I was a kid. So uh, good old good old banks, uh, keeping us uh, engaged around money since uh, all times. Great to have you here, and Jane. I don't know if you've got a, a recent or a more recent happy money memory you're willing to share.
2: Well, I, I did dig back actually, and I remember the CBA Commonwealth Bank money boxes. And the one I always coveted was the tin one that you actually had to open with a tin opener, a can opener at the bottom. So I'm not quite sure what that says about having to put some controls around my spending. But yes, I did actually never get one of those.
0: I love it. And uh, yeah, you need a, need a can opener to, uh, to get access to your savings. Unfortunately, with uh, cash flow, it's probably a little bit easier than that yeah. these days. Let, let's jump into the topic at hand today. And so recent stats show that more than half a million Australians are actually accessing the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And so it's a pretty big number, especially considering it's only been around since the like, 2013, 2014 when it, when it was first rolled out. But can you give us a bit of background? I, I guess, Jane, last time you were on here, you were a, an, an accountant. And I, I know since then, life sort of changed for you a little bit.
2: Well, I'm definitely still an accountant. Yeah, I I love the discipline of accountancy. So I had an accounting business for 16 years and in about 2018, so a couple of years after 2016, which is when it really took off, I had a tax client approach me and say, oh, look, my son's got an NDIS plan. Uh, Would you be able to help manage it? And me really not having any idea of what, any of those words individually meant, I said, sure, let's give it a go. And I remember Kirsten and I looked at each other and said, oh, okay. And Kirsten said, you know, this could really take off. And and it did. And so then I uh, sold my accounting firm in 2021 and continued with the NDIS plan management business. And what I'm loving about this business more than the accounting business really was that I'm much less operational so I have an amazing team around me that knows the NDIS inside out and my role is more leadership the accounting training is ultimately the foundation of the business but my role is more getting the culture right stakeholder engagement and business direction so it's I gotta say it's more fun than accounting 101
0: operations and tax return I'm, I'm sure there's there's a lot of value there especially again people who are accessing the ndis and mm. and just the life impact that that has oh, as well amazing kirsten yep. just to bring you into the chat now i guess what what are some of the principles of the the ndis so again it's the national disability insurance scheme but yeah what, what's that all all about
1: at the heart of the NDIS is the ethos that people with the disability have the right to live a good life, the same as a person without a disability does. So the, the NDIS was designed to put people with disability at the heart of decision-making. And there are a few underpinning principles which guide everything that the NDIS is able to assist a person with. So the first one is, is the support reasonable and necessary? And the second is giving participants individual choice and control. So let me talk a little bit about reasonable and necessary, and I'll try not to go too in-depth here. A support needs to be related to a participant's disability. So you enter the NDIS with a primary disability, although for many people with disability, there may be more than one disability which affects their day-to-day life so primary disability means those supports can be funded so if you for example entered the scheme with a psychosocial disability but you also have some form of physical impairment the ndis is going to fund the ongoing supports needed to manage your psychosocial disability and not necessarily fund any physical injury or impairment that you might have Another part is that the support that you receive with your NDIS funding needs to be um, pursuing your goals and aspirations. So when you enter the NDIS, you're encouraged to list two or three goals that you might have that you want to work towards. So your goal might be to live independently. Your goal might be to gain employment. So two or three goals which you're going to be working towards and then Your funded supports are also going to be working towards that. Another part of reasonable and necessary is value for money. So, are the costs reasonable? So, when comparing the cost of the support to the benefit that it's likely to achieve, and is there any alternative option that might provide you with the same outcome? Is the support effective and beneficial for you? So, the NDIS doesn't want to fund a support that's not going to have any effect for you and is the support something that an informal support might ordinarily provide for you so informal supports are our families our loved ones our friends our carers so ndis uh, likes to believe that most participants would have some informal supports who are going to give you things freely and then ndis comes over the top of that and funds other supports that you might require So that's uh reasonable and necessary shall i talk quickly about choice and control
0: yeah that that sounds great because again it, it is a big area and i think it's just getting people that understanding so yeah if you can sum that up that'd be amazing
1: great okay so that's the choice and control is the second underpinning principle of the ndis so each ndis plan is structured Uh, and made uniquely for each participant. So the idea there is that every participant's requirements are unique, and each participant's plan is therefore unique. And then participants have got choice and control over how they use their plan. So for some participants, that might mean that they choose to use a local gardener, somebody that they they might know from the community rather than a big gardening firm coming in to mow their lawns. Choice and control also looks like who would you like to be your plan manager? who would you like to be your physiotherapist? So rather than the supports being sort of provided to you, it's very much participants' choice and control over how they spend their money and the supports that
0: they receive. That's fantastic. I think that that empowerment and actually giving people control over the destiny. And Jane, I guess to bring you back into the conversation now, so your plan managers. So I guess that client came along and they said, hey, will you manage this for me? So I'm, I'm gathering that people can go to a provider to actually have all their services looked after for them. I think what you're talking to is that that you help people self-manage their plans. Is that correct, Jane? So what what do you actually do?
2: What do we do? Well, we can help people self-manage. So we can help them move away from being plan-managed, which is what we do, and give them the skills to be able to self-manage. But generally what we do is we're actually accounts payable. So if we have a participant who um, has a gardener or a physio, then that gardener or physio will email that invoice to Prudent Plan Management, will draw from the participant's plan and will pay the invoice. So it's accounting, it's accounts payable. As part of that process, we're in contact with the participant, we're in contact with their representatives, which include family and support coordinators. And we're able to discuss with any of those people what their funding can and can't be used for because we are intimate with the price guide, uh, which now has a slightly different name, but it's essentially the same, which is a whole list of products and services and the maximum amount that we can pay. So as plan managers, we monitor their funding. We tell them if the funding is getting too low and it might not last the distance of the plan and we tell them how much they've got left for the Plan ends, which I think is essentially the same thing. So just like being a tax agent, we have to ensure that government funding is used in line with the legislation. And we're a standalone third party between the NDAs, participants and providers. So we're essential to making sure that people get paid on time, but we have an oversight in making sure that funds are being used in accordance with the intention and along the lines of the plan.
0: A, a part of that's obviously using government money, like our money, we, we the people, yep. in what it's intended for, which which is great. And hopefully people are getting better outcomes for that. H- how do you get paid along the way? Are you paid by the, the gardeners that, that people are then using?
2: No, it's actually additional funding that's added to a participant's plan. So plan managers get paid a set amount per month per participant. If you're in an area which is outside metropolitan areas and the plan manager itself is based there, you can be paid more, but uh, we're paid a set amount because we're based in Canberra and it doesn't decimate or reduce the funds that a participant has for other um, supports they need. It's actually added to the fund that's a set amount. And it's a set amount whether we have one invoice to pay or 20 invoices to pay.
0: Kirsten, just to bring you back into the chat now, what, what are some of the more, I don't know, interesting services or, or products that you might get asked about that people want to include in their plans?
1: That's a great question, Scott. We were talking earlier a little bit about choice and control, and the idea of choice and control actually extends further then. So, If I was a participant of the NDIS, I should have choice and control of the providers that I use and also any products that I might purchase. So if we're thinking of a standard type of a disability, it might be that I might need to purchase items for my home to help me in my day-to-day life. So examples that the NDIS would give us are very generic items like a non-slip bath mat, a rail. I might need a rail in my toilet so that when I've finish going to the toilet, I can stand up independently, leave the toilet by myself. In other words, in that most sort of intimate of moments, I don't need anybody to help me. I'm independent. So that's a very sort of easy example of me using my choice and control. My choice and control then extends and I might say, I really need a thermomix because I would like to independently prepare my meals but I can't manage a mixing bowl, a fry pan, the oven, the pantry. I would like a thermomix and I'm just gonna pop my ingredients in there and press the button. So to me as a participant, that seems like it ticks all the boxes for the NDIS. So in other words, it's related to my disability. Nobody else is gonna fund it for me. It's reasonable and necessary. It's working toward my goal of living independently but then we've got the issue of whether the ndis will actually fund the thermomix and i've used the thermomix because that's one of the ones that as plan managers we often get a request to fund and as people thinking about another person with disability we it really resonates with us we can see the reason that we that it that it would be something that would be funded unfortunately for the ndis though there's a lot more to consider so is it value for money is something that the ndis always asks and rightfully so so the ndis would like a participant to be able to say this is the savings the, the difference between buying the thermomix or having a support worker for instance come in to help prepare my meals inside the home And the NDIS often asks participants to consider getting an allied health recommendation. So in other words, an occupational therapist to to look at the uh, cost benefit of purchasing the thermomix against having that support worker come in. And unfortunately, usually the answer is that a thermomix won't actually be value for money. And it's often not something that the NDIS would agree to fund. So, So that's one example of an item that, Participants often think would be useful, but often isn't funded. Assistance animals is another really interesting one. So, assistance animals, usually we would be thinking about a dog as being an assistance animal. And so, assistance animals participants might feel would be something that would give them greater independence. So, in other words, they would require less support from a human being because the assistance animal would be there to assist them. So the NDIS does fund assistance animals, but it's actually quite a a lengthy process. NDIS would require participants to have expert opinions. So you would have a registered assistance animal trainer involved. You would have an allied health professional, such as an occupational therapist involved. And you would be working with those professionals to be able to show that the assistance animal would result in you needing less other funded supports and also increase your ability to become more independently involved with social and work activities. So assistance animals are actually not commonly funded by the NDIS. It's quite rare for that to happen. But something that the NDIS is getting much better at is agreeing to fund assistance animal ongoing costs. So in other words, the agency doesn't fund the purchase of the dog itself, but they do agree that the dog that you have could be considered to be an assistance animal. And they agree to fund some of the ongoing expenses for that animal. So... That might be extra training that's required. It might be some veterinary expenses and some potential medication expenses. It's expenses that aren't the usual dog owner expenses, but other expenses there. So, yeah, that's one that's I think actually at the moment, the NDIS is sort of opening up and agreeing
0: to fund more often. Yeah, that's fantastic. Jane, what happens if, again, an invoice is paid and presented? Whose responsibility is it uh, if that product or that service isn't aligned to the NDIA guidelines?
2: Look, it can go in a number of different directions. It's ultimately the plan manager who's responsible. They could try and recoup it from the participant, but ultimately the agency would come after the plan manager and I think that's why it's really important to me that the staff at Prudent Plan Management really understand the rules inside out. And sometimes we have a conversation with a participant and I say, look, we can't fund this. And one of the reasons we can't is because it puts my house on the line. We're not confident that the NDIA in a compliance check would approve it and I'm not willing to risk my personal asset. Yeah, we take all of this very seriously
0: understandably jane and, and i guess kirsten as, as a plan manager there must be some challenges that, that come up maybe it's, it is i'd hate to have to say no to people i'd always be like no of course you can have a dog and fund everything that you need but yeah i imagine there's there's some challenges that do come along with the role that you have
1: there are scott definitely and some days we have tears in our eyes actually when we're making difficult decisions with participants and their families. So, and that's really very much the human side of the work we do. And I think when we started talking, you were saying to Jane, that must be one of the rewards of plan management. And it definitely is that idea that even though we're paying invoices and just managing a participants, the financial side of their plan, we do feel that we're making a bit of a difference in their lives. One of the biggest challenges Of the NDIS is underfunding of plans and I think if you talk to most participants of the NDIS they would say to you I don't have enough funding in my plan for the supports that I need and that's what we see on a daily basis so participants are receiving less funding than they feel will cover the supports that they need so what we try to do is work with participants and their families to work with the funding that they do have so we have a variety of ways that we manage funding so we can work with participants to break their funding down to a weekly basis we can break supports down to you need two hours of gardening and three hours of cleaning and 10 hours of a support worker coming into your home But ultimately, there's only a certain set amount of funding for the year. And often that means participants don't receive some supports that they need. So that's one challenge of being a plan manager. Second challenge is interpreting the guidelines and the legislation. So underpinning everything is, is it reasonable and necessary? And sometimes the interpretation of a plan manager can be very different to how a participant interprets what's reasonable and necessary. So will the ndis fund meal preparation and delivery supports for me participants uh, might feel very strongly that that's a support that they need but unfortunately they may not have been funded directly for that support and we're then in the position of having to explain i'm sorry you're not funded for that so that's another challenge and sitting alongside that is the unique plan for each person so the funding that scott receives is different to the funding that jane receives is different to the funding that kirsten receives and that means that scott may be eligible to purchase a certain item whereas jane might not be and knowing the guidelines knowing the legislation helps us to inform our decisions and then it helps us to explain to participants i'm sorry scott it's not funded in your case but yes jane in your case it is funded Kirsten, the
2: fridge one was a goodie kind of an example of that wasn't it or or that Uh,
1: yes the fridge is a great example jane so one of our participants requested funding to purchase a bar fridge for their bedroom so that bar fridge would have held medication that they need to take uh three times a day and the participant expressed to us if i have this bar fridge in my bedroom next to my bed i'm not going to need a support worker to come in three times a day to help me take my medication Now, to all of us, right, that seems very, very reasonable. However, unfortunately, the NDIS isn't going to fund a bar fridge for medication because medication is the responsibility of the health system. So there we've got an unfortunate answer from us saying, no, I'm sorry, the bar fridge isn't funded. In another participant's case, though, A bar fridge is funded so this is a participant who's got a disability which has got an effect of thermoregulation so in other words this participant can't regulate their temperature well so a bar fridge next to the bed which is going to hold ice chips to reduce temperature is funded so there we go two fridges two participants one yes one no
0: Wow, and I guess that 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 probably sums up the complexity of the system. And uh, I mean, I've had conversations with participants and even carers uh, who engage with the system, and the challenge of the renewal process. Because I, I guess the NDIs isn't means tested, which is a, is a great thing. It actually means that if you if you've got well, th- there's no testing of how much asset you've got to to get access to the system. So I think that's that's a phenomenal thing. It's like Medicare. It's it's like the the standard. That we set in in this country but when it comes to the approval each cycle for for funding is that something that you can assist with because i know that's a big thing to navigate at the end of the day
1: the role of a plan manager doesn't really slip over into funding requests for new plans Uh, but how we do assist is by um at the at the end of a participant's plan we produce a report which shows how much was spent on gardening, how much was spent on cleaning, how much was spent on occupational therapists, speech therapists, physios, how much was spent on continence products, for example. So they can go back to the NDIS and say, this is how much I needed for continence products over the last 12 months. Hence, I'll need the same amount next year. So that's that's the the help that we give. Uh, Participants going back to the NDIS for a new plan generally will go armed with reports from their Allied health professionals
0: I mean that that story around the fridge does sound pretty frustrating uh being a, a, a in the roles that you're in at least it sounds like you are taking some of that burden away from people uh with the red tape um is, is that fair like when you have to be the bearer of the bad news I guess it's you are taking some of the burden away from them
2: yeah it's super hard Scott and you know we're dealing with a very stressed sector as it is. stressed parents of children with disabilities, stressed providers, stress support coordinators. So we are sometimes, uh, you know, the brunt of their frustration, but, you know, we sort of have team meetings and team discussions about how it's not directed at us personally. It's the fact that they're having a very difficult time. One thing that springs to mind is the swimming lessons for children. Kirsten, you can explain that better than me, I'm sure.
1: Yes, swimming lessons for children would usually be seen as one of those things that's parental responsibility. So we take our children for swimming lessons in the same way that we take them to the dentist and take them to school. But for participants with disability, group swimming lessons might be really challenging. And so the NDIS would generally agree to fund the difference between the cost of an individual swimming lesson and a group swimming lesson. But for many parents, the idea of a group swimming lesson is very appealing because their child with a disability is then also having the opportunity to with children of the same age, in a in a group setting with a teacher involved. So that's one of those things that explaining to parents and guardians of children is the, the NDIS will fund this and they won't fund that. So yeah, that ongoing challenge yeah. is there.
0: No, that's that's good insight. Kirsten. And again, we do keep these episodes short in Sweden, and we could probably unpack and talk about this for many, many hours because of the complexity that's in the system. I guess my last question, Jane, we've seen uh, in the last quarterly report that's released by the government on the NDIS that there's 23,000, 24,000 new participants uh, joining the NDIS a, a quarter roughly, which is, which is great that the people are getting access to this important services and, and products that they might need. Is the NDIS working, do you think? Is that a loaded question? Can you answer that?
2: I just don't think you can put a dollar value on improving people's lives. And I get really, really sick of the NDIS being criticised. I I was at dinner the other night and one guy was almost proudly saying how a physio friend of his just tops and tails a report, changing the names and charges the same. And that same physio drive from one client to the next to the next, but charges travel from her home to each of the clients as if it's a new trip. So absolutely there's rotting and absolutely there's fraud. But I believe wholeheartedly, just like in the tax system, over time the loopholes will be closed. And, yeah, you because know, I grapple with this a lot. You know, there's so much money that goes, goes through and budgets are increasing, even though some are being cut. cut. But a personal hero of mine by the name of Dr. George Talaporis has a podcast called Reasonable and Necessary, and he put into words how I feel. So to answer whether it's working, you have to separate the NDIS from the NDIA, the scheme from the agency. The NDIS is working, absolutely. It's person-centred, it provides individualised funding and planning so that Participants can choose the supports and services that are right for them. The NDIS sees people with disabilities as individuals with unique needs and goals, not as people to be fixed. One story I heard recently was a guy who was made paraplegic at 16 as a result of a football injury. And he said this bizarre comment. He said he wouldn't be expecting a baby in December without the NDIS. He didn't have the NDIS, he didn't have the supports. He'd be living at home with his parents. He'd not have the financial supports to enable him to live independently, go to uni, find a job. So NDIS has utterly changed how his life would have been. You can't put a price on that. So to me, the NDIS is working. The NDIA has lots of challenges, long wait times for funding approval, lack of transparency in funding decisions, And uncertainty about future planning but i have really high hopes and i think with bill Shorten as our fearless leader we'll get there i'm a little fan girl of his i have to say
0: fantastic jane and that that story just gave me the the tingles and the the warm and fuzzies so yeah thank you for sharing that yeah and and i think as you say there the Often in the system, it's it's the participants that are being um, accused of things, but actually, it's the service yes. providers that that might be doing the rotting in the background. Yes. So, yes, yeah, yes, I think the things. And he was proud, and-
2: Scotty. He was proud to say, "Oh, this friend of mine, like really." I was, oh, I was horrified.
0: Yeah. And look, I often say that the system, the, the many systems that we live in are far from perfect, but I think it's just making sure that you've got access to the, to the things you need. And I think the thing I love about the NDIS is it is about the end user and the participants actually being able to live that independent life. So look, Thank you so much for your time today, Jane and Kirsten. It has been a really interesting chat. And again, we do keep the episode short and sweet. So I'll grab some of those resources from you both and I'll add them sure. to the show notes, including the, yep. the link to the other pod- podcast you just mentioned as well, Jane. But thank you again. Lovely to see you both. Thanks,
2: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Lovely to talk to you again.
0: Thanks, folks. Hope you've enjoyed that episode. Uh, As we uh, always say, please share this with your friends if you found it valuable or like us uh, where you are listening. And we'll see you next time.